guys. Welcome to another episode of the Brand Whip Podcast. My name is Sam McEwen and joining me as always, Dean Milson. How are you, Dean? I'm very well today, Sam. How are you, mate? Doing very well, mate. Doing very well. So here we are again. Um, for those just joining us for the first time, the idea of this show is that each episode, one of us will pose a topic relating to the world of marketing, a topic without notice, and we see where it takes us. And Dean, I believe that you've got a topic for us today. I do have a topic for us today, Sam. Um, I um, I read, like a lot of people, um, Richard Thaler's book called Nudge, which a few years ago, I think it came out in the 2008, 2009 or something, but I think I read it about three years ago, and it piqued my interest in this thing called behavioural economics. Um, but it was was Rory Sutherland's amazing book called Alchemy, which came out early this year, um, which um, I would highly recommend anyone listening to this reading, that um, brings this kind of idea of behavioural economics or the behavioural approach to marketing. The subtitle to his book is The Surprising Power of, of Ideas That Don't Make Sense. And what he means by that is ideas that don't make sense from a purely rational or economical perspective. But they do when you realise how humans are actually hardwired um, and how they understand the world um, and often from an evolutionary standpoint. A lot of this stuff goes all the way back to, you know, when we're, when we're cavemen and we're, we're uh, men and women and we're trying to, uh, you know, outrun lions and tigers and things like that. So it's, um, it's really fascinating how deep you can go into that rabbit hole and I've gone quite deep into that rabbit hole. Um, but just I, I, by way of, you know, setting up a, a bit of a definition for people, um, this, uh, behavioral economics was born from the, the rejection of um, what was known as traditional economic theory, which I'm not 100% sure on the dates, but I would think still up until the late 80s, maybe early 90s, maybe that's a bit late, This, but definitely in the 70s, this um, traditional economic theory was, um, you know, set in stone. And um, that's kind of founded on these three fundamentals that all people are rational. Um, individual choices are consistent with what's called e- expected utility theory. So that is, we make choices trying to maximize the utility or another word for utility is satisfaction that we get out of a decision. Um, so we're always, you know, we're, we're weighing up decisions based on whether we're going to get more utility or less utility. It all sounds very um, uh, very technical, um, and that people correctly update their opinions and beliefs based on it, any new information they've received. So, you know, if you think about that, and, and Richard Thaler, I think, coined the term, you know, these people are econs, they're not humans, you know, because, uh, and they, so you think about from that point of view, we're all weighing up every decision we make, and um, it's all very, we're, we think through everything rationally, and we're, and obviously, when you think about it now in hindsight, um, I would think, um, I think if anyone thinks about their, their, their personal behaviour, we don't think like that at all. But behavioural economists, and, and Richard Thaler started as an economist, um, um, co- contested and eventually proved that humans are certainly not rational creatures and there's many things that go into influ- influencing decisions that fly in the face of those assumptions. And um, uh, so it's, it, it's, and when they're applied to marketing and communications, I think it gets really interesting. Um, another book, um, just to um, kind of build on this idea, um, there's a book called The Choice Factory, which a guy called Richard Shotton wrote, I think two years ago, two or three years ago, where he breaks down these his top 25 behavioral biases. I reckon I've spoken about this book before in our, in our podcast at some point and how they can be applied to advertising and marketing. And behavioral biases are like these psychological shortcuts um, that, that, that we're all hardwired to have 
they help us make decisions in a um, uh, often in a in a quicker way because if we are having to rationally think about every decision we make and weigh it all up, um, life will be pretty hard. And they can almost they can often be understood back to the evolutionary level as well. And some of the obvious ones which you might be aware of, I'm sure listeners have probably seen as well, are uh, there's things like scarcity bias. So the, you know, think of the way websites might highlight a price and say it's from a limited time only, or there's a limited number of tickets available, you know. Amazon will put on their, um, you know, one left or two left. And really, we don't even know if that's um, that's true or not. But as soon as we see, uh, you know, one left or, you know, hardly any left, all of a sudden this scarcity bias kicks in and, and we want to, um, you know, we want to, uh, we're more interested. Um, and then another one is price relativity. And this is a bias where we, we weigh up the price and the value of a product comparing it to what's around at the time. So we don't, um, and there's been some really interesting studies of that. And um, anchoring is one part of um, price relativity, um, where they had studies with I think they had different price beers. The beer, yeah, and so the um, the the price of the the people willing to pay for a beer was relative to the prices around it. Um, and so they would shift. You know, they'd put a more expensive beer in, and so all of a sudden that beer that seemed more expensive before the price of that one beer hadn't changed. It seemed relative to everything else to be a pretty good deal, and people buy it. So, we see that on um, uh, menus in um, in restaurants. They, you know, they have um, you know their high wine price wines. The wine out there, yeah, yeah. wine list and things like that <laughs> is a is a good one. Um, but you know, you can do that in that that can that's an interesting strategy to kind of tip into in lots of ways. So, there's lots of these great um, you know behavioural biases and and theories that have come out of this, which I find fascinating. I could probably fill up a year's worth of conversations <laughs> with you, Sam, around these, um, and you can probably expect a few more uh, podcasts around this, um, you know, in, into the future. But one of them I want to focus on today, or the one I want to focus on today, is is one I'm really interested in at the moment, and that this is the concept of signalling. Um, have you heard of signalling before? I have, I have, um, but I'm really interested to to hear where you take it today. But um, it's it's something that I, that I do. I mean, I look at you know to, to talk you know behavioural science. I, I, I um, how can you be in marketing with, without being fascinated by this? Because you know, I I think it's it's you know it is in essence what marketing is, and um, you know I love uh, you know this. I'll make some comments later. Um, if I get a point, yeah, you know, I love the fact that that you've gone from the econ- economics to behavioural economics because, you know, it, to to me that distinction between the two is almost a, 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 an apt description of marketing, right? You've got economics that assumes the rational thinker who's who's completely informed about all the products uh, and and and, uh, and making purely rational decisions, and and marketing is the difference between that and reality. Uh, um, and it's a it's a beautiful line there to say okay well uh, how you know what what do we do to to um you know to 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 actually capture that you know uh, to to make it an unfair market for our brands yeah. well it, it assumes that traditional theory assumes that everyone is so smart and interestingly from my understanding I I, I read another book called Misbehaving which was Richard Taylor's kind of he basically it was the history of how kind of behavioural sciences um, and um, came about. And um, interestingly, one of the best stories in that I found was um, how they kind of convinced, or at least put a, put a, a, a made an argument for behavioural economics was um, with a traditional economist. I don't remember his name, but 
um, he was going on about how stupid all his students were. Oh, they make the most stupid decisions and I can't believe they did that and God, they're so dumb. And I think it might have been uh, um, 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 Daniel Kahneman who wrote um, Thinking Fast and Slow um, said to him, you know, your whole theories are based on everyone being really smart. Like they know the price of everything, they weigh everything up, you know, yet you just all you've done is for the last half an hour is talk about how stupid everyone is, and I agree, every everyone is stupid. Um, and so that kind of was the 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 little wedge there that started kind of getting people thinking. So well, look, uh, it does assume it's a funny. It's funny. I mean, one thing I would say is is having studied economics to, to some degree, a small degree. You know, uh, the the thing about economics was that there was no science there, right? So it, in in exactly the same way that behavioural like economics, and now we're going through a, a you know brand science, marketing science sort of uh, you know time where we're trying to 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 really bring more scientific thought to the discipline of marketing, right? Which is something I, I really love. You know, yeah. economics went through that as well, and, and they literally sat out at the start and said, okay, well, we're going to make some assumptions. We're going to make assumptions that. You know that uh, about supply and and demand, and that that um, you know that that supply is limited, and we're going to make assumptions that that um, decision making is rational, and 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 they literally build a framework and said, okay, well within this framework of rational thinkers and, and all this kind of thing, you know how to mark how are markets going to to respond to price increases, to you know supply dropping, to demand increasing, and all these things, and it actually pr- pr- like. It allowed them to make these decisions, which have become yeah. the hallmark fundamentals. But I think what you're talking about now and what we're, we're hopefully able to discuss is the extension to that. It's like, okay, well, if we've now established a baseline, which is that, you know, that, that we're going to have this pure market, um, you know, that, that's not impacted at all by anything else, that it's simply just supply and demand and prices yeah. and, and, and rational thinking. Well, if that's our baseline, then it does actually allow us to measure you know, the difference between that, right? Which is, okay, well, we know that, that people don't have perfect information. We know that uh, that people aren't making purely rational choices, that, yeah. that there is emotion. So what happens when you now start to to put some emotion into that, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to put the irrational, you know, and I think I'm sure it's from a title of a book somewhere, but I always, you know, I love that sort of, you know, consumers are consistently irrational. Yeah, yeah, and that's, and it's fascinating to think about that. Like that, this was this was heresy thirty years ago, probably maybe forty, and now it just it just makes complete sense. But yes, yeah, signaling. So I, I I love this one. Um, it's it's um technically called costly signaling theory, and um and it it has um the famous example of this in evolutionary psychology is is the peacock and the peacock's feathers, right? Um, and I, I, I believe the peacock frustrated the hell out of Darwin because he couldn't see or understand why, um, you know, what the feathers did. They had no evolutionary um, meaning, um, yet they had obviously survived evolution. And, um, and the, 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 I mean, the, the theory around that then was they actually um, they were a costly signal to show that this peacock was a is it was a good mate. Um, it was so it was all about you know recreating and things like that. So it, the, there's a the peacock is the example that's always used when it comes to signaling. Um, but um, Rory um, uh, Rory's got a quote which I think is great, and that is he defines it as the meaning and significance we attach to something is felt in direct proportion to the expense expense with which it's communicated. 
So to give a couple of examples there, from a really simplistic point of view, I could pick up the phone to you or call you on, you know, a Zoom call right now to to deliver a message, to communicate something, and I, you know, communicate that to you. Or if I got in my car and drove across town to your house to wait out the front when you, you know, you 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 went out for breakfast in the morning or knocked on the door, the the message would have a completely different weight, would it mm. not? There's a there's a there's a signal in the way I communicated and the cost I've had to. Get you know, get in the car, drive halfway across Melbourne, and and come and see you and talk to you face to face, as opposed to you know just picking up the phone or you know this video conference. So th- that and that that concept right there, in a nutshell, is what kind of signalling is about. That the the cost of the communication adds to its significance. So cost is defined quite broadly here. It's time, it's money, or it's potentially you know reputation. But if you think about that cost and take it a little bit further. Um, and think about brands. Someone who's invested in a brand that you've heard of, you know, therefore that someone has had a great deal of upfront investment in the reputation of their name has far more to lose in selling you a dud product than someone you've never heard of. Would you agree mm. with that? It's a pretty, yeah, it's absolutely, a, it's a yeah. pretty obvious statement. And so that's what brands really are, aren't they? They're they're a signifier, a signal that um, that that you you know you're you're backing yourself. You 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 back the quality of your product, and you're you're building a reputation around that. So, in a sense, you've got um you know there's something to lose. So, the cost that goes into building a brand and advertising. People like Rory will talk about the cost that goes into advertising, cost that goes into buying that media is a strong signal in itself. And um and Rory uses a great example in his book about buying a television. And so I'm gonna co-opt it a little bit, but use an example. I just I just went online. Um, to JB Hi-Fi, for those of you on the other side of the world, that's a, um, uh, a television and, and, and hi-fi dealer in, um, in, a, in Australia and, and just looked at a couple of TVs. And so I saw a Sony Bravia, I think it was 55-inch for, uh, for um, uh, $1,500, and I saw a, I'd never heard of this brand before, a, a Falcon with two Fs, a, a Falcon for $700, same size, um, I didn't look specifically at the specifications, but I would say they'd be generally the same. I'm, I'm, I, I will, I'll, I'll probably gather to say the Sony might be a little bit more sophisticated. But in general, a fifty-five color, a fifty-five inch color TV. We have a Sony that's fifteen hundred and a, a for Falcon. I can't even say the name um, of seven hundred dollars. So all things being equal, I think most people would choose the Sony here, unless their goal was to buy the cheapest television that they could. But so why do we think that is? Um, so, you know, the Sony is $1,500, the F- Falcon is $700. I don't think people are buying the Sony, and Rory states in his example, people are buying that TV because they think it's $800 a better TV. You know, they're not maximising their utility, um, expecting to get $800 more worth of value. They're buying, they're paying, spending $800 more because the brand makes them feel more, brand makes us feel more confident about our decision. It makes Mm -hmm. us feel better. And, and the statement from in in alchemy that, you know, when I was listening to the book, you know, almost drove off the road when I heard it and it's, it's become, you know, it's a, it's a really great one. We don't choose brand A over brand B because brand A is better. We choose it because we're more certain that it's good more yeah. certain that it's good and that's even a key there like think about marketing brands and companies and products talking about how they're better we're often not really that interested in whether something's better we're first interested to be certain that it's good or more certain that it's not a bad decision so 
you know, I can totally see myself, maybe not online, but standing, you know, in a JV Hi-Fi, looking at TV, seeing that Sony brand on there, and behold, that brand I've never heard of, comparing the prices, they look pretty much the same. Um, you know, at that point, I'm I'm edging towards, you know, paying significantly the amount more money, double the amount more money in that scenario, because I'm more certain that that Sony is 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 um is a better decision. It's it's good. It's more good. It's not going to be mm. shit. <laughs> and that signaling at work, we're hardwired to avoid bad decisions. And this is where the evolutionary bit comes back into it as well. Bad decisions thousands of years ago often meant death. You got eaten by that tiger. Your you know your your genes were not passed on. So you know at, at deep down, all we're trying to do is is continue to survive and procreate. And so that that's why these these biases have kind of come to the surface. So buying a TV isn't life or death, um, but those same things are kind of in play here. And so this bit about looking for the best option. Um, uh, rather than making it certain that we're not making a bad decision, I find really, really interesting. Um, and it's um, at a very top level thinking, you know, from a from anyone doing investing in, you know, branding and marketing. I'm not talking about big brands now like Sony. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about um, small to medium businesses even. And a lot of the work, you know, we both do it in, in our day job, Sam, is for small to medium businesses. You know, at that very top level, investing in a great brand identity and collateral with great branding that clearly looks like it's been created by a professional is a signal that you're serious. Mm. Um, and and the amount you need to invest in that at various, you know, it depends on the 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 um the industry you're in. Some are coming off a very low base. It won't be hard to 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 signal that you're serious, but it shows that you've incurred a cost to build your reputation. You stand to lose something if your product or services don't deliver, or you rip me off. And this, this, this is just a really fundamental human thing. That's why we, we prefer to go and buy products at, you know, um, a big supermarket rather than from someone that sets up a stand out the front. <laughs> we, we, where we, we, we can't really, we don't know what their reputation yeah. is. We don't know where they got that product from, but the, <laughs> the amount of signaling that goes on to, to kind of, you know, build that reputation in, in a brand is, is it makes a really difference. So you know, advertising is a costly signal as well. Like I said, this is what, um, you know, often the, hear the angle that Rory talking about. Um, if you can afford a billboard on the M1 here, then you've certainly got skin in the game. And psychologically, that says something about the perceived quality of your products or services. It, it, it really does. You know, the fact that you've gone out there and paid that money to put that billboard up there um, or to, you know, how it, you know, you advertise, you know, a TV ad, not, not many of my clients can afford a TV ad, but um, what, you know, that, that says something. And, and he, Rory makes an interesting argument, which is, is I'd be interested in your thoughts as well, um, especially that it's a kind of against digital advertising a little bit and that it's become so targeted and so efficient that it's not actually a costly signal anymore. The way that more traditional mediums are it's it's you 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 and there's no waste either there's with with some of these um um and so the, the waste idea kind of comes back to the peacock a little bit as well it doesn't really have any functional benefit but it's it's just there but how targeted you can get with digital advertising it's almost like shooting fish in a barrel you haven't had to there's no waste it's not it's not a costly signal so well i mean um, the, the signaling is exactly it. i mean you know the you know, there's there's a funny there's a funny thing is you know if if everyone Facebook ads are the most accessible, then having a big billboard somewhere or a print ad just shows that you know it is a signal, right? It's a, it's a signal that 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 you're that you can you know 
um, that you're a big brand. And also, we're all we're all coloured by history, right? So, you know, if if back, you know, if back in the day, the fact that you'd made it as an entrepreneur meant that you know you're on the cover of a magazine. There's no Facebook equivalent. There's no there's no digital equivalent yeah. of that. There's a signal yeah. that's associated with, you know, in fact, I've, I've seen some people using this at the moment, um, is they got their face on a, on a magazine and what did they do? They ran Facebook ads Facebook with them ads. Holding, <laughs> holding the magazine with their picture on it, right? Because they, very they need, Yeah, they, they needed to, to signal that. But, but there's a couple of other things if I can jump in now that yeah. I'm talking, now that I have the microphone. Um I mean, there was one thing. There was a word that you didn't say then, but I felt that that you were you were so, you know you were talking about, which was was risk aversion. It's two words. Um, yep. And, but you know, yep. really, when, you, when you're talking about that that um, you know that that genetic um, Darwin, you know, mm-hmm. attribute of saying, "Hey, look, if we make a bad decision, we die." Right now, you're yep. saying you know, JB Hi-Fi making a decision about a TV. You know, you're not going to die if you get that decision wrong, but you you are genetically predisposed predisposed to an aversion to risk, right? And it's yep. a it's a risk, you know. And I think this ties <coughs> back nicely to what you're talking about economics, right? Economics as a, traditionally assumed that you have all the information and that you're making a completely rational choice. But at that yep. moment, I assume right that you are not. Uh, an expert at TVs. You don't know all the different components that go into making the perfect TV, all the attributes that make one TV better than another, you know, what's the resolution, you know, what? how many pixels should it have, what are the, what's the blackness, all the bent, right, all those, but you don't have that perfect information. So you're trying to take a shortcut, right? Um, and, and, you're, and you're saying, okay, well, what I do know is that Sony is a great brand. You know, I have had a Sony TV in the past, perhaps, or I have other products. I've seen the, those advertising. I've seen their signals. I know that I have a lot to lose. You know, you might yeah. not be thinking it in such clear, rational terms, but you have no idea what Falcon is. But you do know what Sony is, and you make the decision. And what you're saying there is is that you're prepared to spend an extra eight hundred dollars on that TV. To avoid the risk of losing seven hundred dollars on a crappy TV, yeah, no, sure, and and there's probably a few more things at play there as as well to account for that seven hundred dollars, like having a Sony brand in your house sit, signals says something about um, you, something yeah. a bit better than the than the F for F- Falcon does. Um, but um, so there, so I I, I probably we probably shouldn't um, I probably should check myself a little bit there and say that eight hundred dollars isn't all. In the, the the risk, you know, the the risk aversion side of things, or the loss aversion side I mean, of things. That, I mean, that, but, that eight hundred dollars is, as well. is, yeah, yeah. is technical. I mean, maybe there's some some cost differences. Maybe that TV is a little bit better, right, and and has some more, more expensive components. But you know, I mean, yeah. the, the interesting one, you know, I, Samsung and and Apple, you know, the two fierce competitors in the phone market. You know, the Apple phone is cheaper to make and sells for a higher value than yeah. the Samsung phone. Right. Well, what's what's the difference there? You actually assume the Samsung probably has more expensive components, certainly more expensive to make. So, so, so you know, you could argue on that um, yeah. side of things. It's probably a better phone, yet it's it's more costly and and sells for cheaper. The difference there is nothing but brand. Yes, that is that right. is the the value of the Apple brand 
you know, yeah. and the, you know, everything that you assume stands with the Apple brand and the Samsung brand. And, and what yeah. a great position for them to be in, for Apple to be in, to be able to sell a cheaper product for more yeah. money. Um, and, and no, that's, that's, that's a, it's a great example of that as well. The other one, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of B2C, um, sorry, um, yeah, consumer products and things you can really look and see all that signaling mm-hmm. is happening. And it's there, some of them are really obvious, but, um, I do a lot of work with B2B brands in the B2B space. And so I'm always trying to um, uh, think about these concepts. I, I would hazard to say that, you know, there's probably a lot of people listening to this podcast that um, work in that space as well. So I find it always interesting to try and bring these back to, uh, mm. to B2B concepts to kind of stress test them to make sure that they're, they're, they're relevant to, to everyone or at least the smaller brands as well. And um, it, it is really interesting because um, I'd say a lot of, uh, a lot of, my clients in that you know smaller medium area they often um have competition that is perceived as bigger or more well established like we we all have the that, that that's we're not talking about coke and pepsi here we're talking about you know um an, an accounting firm that that is going up against a larger accounting firm or i've got an yeah. example in a moment of an elevator company um that you know that, that i've done a bit of work with um the so they've got these when when you've got a um a competition that's more that's larger or, or or more established or they've invested in more in, in signaling, you know, in this situation the problem is 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 normally just getting that, that prospect to even consider thinking about switching from a from a from a bigger brand. You know, the um the mm-hmm. example, you know, that nobody ever got fired for buying IBM was the, you know, the the catch cry yeah. in the in the eighties. Um, it was all based around that kind of um, that signaling. They were a sure bet, and and, and, and what they done. And it, there's risk aversion right there. Something you know, isn't it? It, it, right. it, it, it? It really is. It really is. So when you frame the problem that way, and I had an example with a you know, an elevator company working at the moment. They, you know, you might you might have you might say you have better service, you've got competitive pricing, your products are comparable, or you might even have better products or services mm. in this kind of Goliath you're up against. But unless you're signaling that these potential clients or customers can be certain that you're not going to let them down or that you're an okay decision, you're not even going to get in the picture. And um, we yeah. had this conversation with this with this elevator company. They have a better product. Their product is kind of similar to the Apple Samsung you're talking about. Most of the components, if not all of them, are made in the same factories that the you know the 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 Schindler elevator is is made in. Right? They they are. They're, you know, when you compare product to product, they are, you know, they were as good, if not better. They were cheaper, right? They, they were better value. But when, you know, it was coming down to these architects and builders having to specify this new brand compared to the one that they know that they see in every lift when they, yeah. you know, it fit when they walk in, it was a, it was a big decision. And we said to them, you are not signaling your website's awful. Um, you, you know, you're, 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 you've got amazing customer service and you're so good one-on-one and the relationships you build are fantastic, but you are not signaling, um, yeah. that, that, that you're even in the same market here. And so you're going to find it very, very difficult to, to, um, to, you know, to make inroads there unless yeah. you're signaling. And so well, when you think about it from that point of view, it just reframes everything. It's interesting t- talking, um, you know, books and things that we've read. I'm not sure if you've read the 22 Immutable Laws of Branding. I haven't. It's 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 uh, it's on my very large list. To get <laughs> it's through. a fantastic book. If you can overlook the fact that a lot of the examples are really really out of date now, um, the, the 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 fundamentals of it is brilliant. And um, one of the things that they say, one of the immutable laws of branding, is never 
promote on being better because everyone says that they're better and people don't believe it um, to, to promote on being the leader, right? So in your elevator example there, well, Schindler are the leader and they can advertise yep. that they're the leader and they talk, you mentioned Coke and Pepsi, they, they use Coke and Pepsi as the example. That, that, um, you know, and I think another, another word that, that you may haven't mentioned here but maybe we'll get into is this, this idea of heuristics, right? These shortcuts that we make to, to, uh, you know, to make decisions. We, another perfect example of you know, how we are imperfect, right? We, we don't make rational decisions. We make irrational decisions. And so one of those heuristics that we use when we're considering brands is we're not concerned with which one's the best. Like you said, we're, we're trying to make decisions that are the least risky, um, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, the, to choose the brand that's most likely to be good, not, you know, that, that's the absolute best. Um, and so they took Coke and Pepsi is if we, we always choose the leader because there's no risk in choosing the leader. Other people have chosen that before us. Um, yep. and the fact that it's the leader, we make that, that assumption that they must be the best. Whereas if you promote that you're the best, you, whoa, so, we smell something fishy there, yeah. <laughs> right? That's a big, yeah. that's a big claim. Um, and so, yeah, so that's what they say, always promote being, being the leader. And, that, and that's that heuristic that, that we're taking. Okay, we choose the leading brand because they're the leading brand. Other, you know, that other people more educated than us must have made that decision in, in the past. And that's the challenge that your elevator company will have, um, you know, and, and um, you know, our, uh, Jack Trout and Al Ross would suggest that what they need to do is, is be the leader in a new category. Um, but creating that other ladder, yeah, that's an, that's another strategy as well. I think as a as a as a as a general, you know, baseline though, like thinking about like what are those signals that competition get? What what ways can we, you know, what are the costly signals we can do? And it might it might just be, you know, wanting to, um, you know, you, you're trying to change perception here, aren't you? So you might not, you know, might not cost you that much if you don't win. You know, a lot of none of us have you know, huge budgets like these big companies do. So what can we do that gets mm-hmm. the most signal out of out of that? that well, that and, and knowing events? that's the key, right? Like, so so saying, okay, well, well, you know, you're an architect, you know, you have the risk of your professional standing, you know, on yep. the line. That is actually real risk to, to some yeah. degree, you know, and, you know, the IBM example is apt, you know, no one, no one ever... No one ever got fired for choosing Schindler, maybe in, in this example. Um, well, so, no, that's it. It's the same thing. So, so what what are those signals? So, so that's probably a good question to ask. You know, how do you? You know, what yeah. are the important signals? What can we be doing as you know ambassadors for our brands to to um, you know to to influence this and to and yeah. to make sure that the, the the right signals are in place? Yeah, and and I think you know like. Look, like I said, like the companies, especially in B two B, they're not doing. You're not most of them. Yeah, I don't have. Well, I've got a couple that's of clients that could do a billboard. That's about it. Yeah, it's the brands you work with, right? Like the classic one for B two B is that. That's what we are, and it's the same thing. Talking yeah. heuristics, right? Why do we put all the logos of our clients all over our websites and you know all on our yeah. and our proposals and those things? Because it's the only tangible evidence that we can provide when you're providing services you know, and, yeah. and your B2B of, of the quality. And again, it's that heuristic of saying, well, hey, there's a good brand, you know, they're bigger than us, better than us, you know, maybe, um, you know, and they chose to work with them. Well, well, there's a good signal, um, you know, and that is, there's probably a name for that. That's the, that's the social... Um, social proof, that one is. Social proof. Social so, proof. It's the same one that play. You, you're... Um, 
you're chopping off all the examples for my future podcast here, Sam. You're, uh, you're <laughs> sorry, sorry into, <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. Um, yeah, so it's, it's like the one that's like the, a full restaurant. You know, looks like you know it's it's yeah, it's going to be more yeah. inviting to to go and enter as opposed to an a, an empty restaurant. Whereas, to be fair, the food could be exactly the same, um, well, and it's uh, but you don't but you don't maybe consider it because. And that's 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 an evolutionary thing for sure as well. It's going all back to the wisdom of the yep. wisdom of the herd. Um, you yep. know, we don't want to wander off there and and and, and get eaten by you know, that you know, um, I, I, tiger. I, on I the saw right. it play beautifully the other day too. I went to a cafe because isn't that great that we can go back to cafes now yep. post lockdown? Um, yep. And and there were, there was literally two cafes side by side. I've never been to either of them before. Um, and one of them had a big old group of people out the front standing there, and and the other didn't. And so that's the one we chose. And there was a lot of other signals going on there. Um, funnily enough, the, pe- the group of people standing out the front were all the restaurant staff just dressed uh-huh. in plain clothes. Yeah. And they since walked in. <laughs> and, the, and I thought, I wonder if they were doing that on purpose. I wonder if he was out there sort of engaging with people and chatting. It looked like a lot of people waiting for their coffees, but it was, it was really just sort of the owners of the cafe, whereas the other cafe were all just hiding inside and, and, and no one's sitting in there. And I thought, well, and, and there's uh, actually another one. I'm gonna while I'm stealing ideas from you. I'm pretty sure yeah, you posted. It. it must have been why you were uh, reading one of these books uh, early on in the in the coronavirus lockdown period. Uh, I think you posted a picture of a cafe with their umbrellas open, no tables sitting under underneath. Yeah, yeah. Another um, idea of signalling. So that's a it's a great example from Rory's book. I think it's from Rory's book. The the he was talking about a restaurant. Um, a restaurant that uh, would uh, put their um, yeah, put their umbrellas out and and set up the tables out the front and there was one next door to them or something that that, that didn't do any of that and the one with everything set up um, was signalling that we're open and ready to go and I yeah I saw in COVID um, I've seen it a couple of times actually and as, it was great because that cafe actually mentioned it I went and said something to her like a month later and she wasn't doing it for that reason um, yeah. um, but. I think deep down she kind of was. She just didn't realise yeah. that, you, you know, there was no function for those umbrellas or the tables because you couldn't sit out the front. You couldn't even sit in and eat at that cafe as uh, at that point. Yet just having those out there signalled to people but, and driving past that we are open and, um, you know, we're, we're here, whereas, you know, you take mm-hmm. that away, it doesn't look as welcoming or um, anything like that. So, yeah, um, that's another, yeah. You can see I've been obsessed with signaling for at least four months, Sam. Um, <laughs> That's good. It's good. So, so, so I mean, so, we've mentioned a couple there. We've mentioned social proof. You know, yep. we we've mentioned um, the uh, there was another one early early on. I think that that you you mentioned escape escape me now uh, of uh, scarce, uh, scarcity. Uh, scarcity. Ones I said. Yeah, yep. yeah, right. So there's a couple of like big signals there that that we can pull levers on. Um, yep. You know, uh, are there others that that come to mind? That have- I, um, look, they're the main ones here. I think um, I'll 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 pick apart a few more of them um, to um, to to talk about as as we go through because um, there's actually a lot to there's a lot to dig in. I saw an Ogilvy slide that they had, um, you know, I think there was probably fifteen or sixteen frames they had, and it might actually be worthwhile to do a um um to, to have another chat about a few more of them in in groups because they're great when you. Um, when you break them down and think about them. But I think signalings are just a, a, a really versatile one. It's a different way of approaching um, mm-hmm. um, things you might have thought about. Like, you know, so let's not be better. Let's just make sure that we, we signal that we're, we're good enough um, or that we're, 
you know, we're not, as Rory sometimes says, I think we're not shit. <laughs> they, you know, that's that's really what we want when we want to get across. And I think the the key um, thought here to take away um, to maybe wrap this up is your, you know, the, your brand message could be being undermined by the signals your brand's giving off mm. with, without you realising it. Um, you know, we work with, you know, uh, uh, developing brand strategies and value propositions and, and great key messages and, and positioning, you know, organisations and, and products in a certain way. And, you know, you, you can put so much work into all of that and getting it right. But, you know, if you have, a, you know, the, the signals you might be, you know, delivering those messages through the mediums you're advertising in yeah. or the way I, I you know you you might have a great advertising campaign and, and send it out as a spammy email as opposed to investing more money and making it a, a direct mail or something you know they clearly could be the same message delivered in in two different ways and one's going to have way more impact yeah. than, than the other so um so, so to remember that as a um as i think something to take away from here that uh, check your signals and and um, it's probably a better way we use, you know, um, we talk about um, brand touch points in our workshops and I saw someone having a cringe at that term not long ago on Twitter and I was like, oh, I kind of have to agree with you a little bit. It's, it's who says that, you know, yeah. <laughs> other than people in marketing. And, 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 and so kind of maybe they're more, you know, brand signals, maybe again, who says that either, but it's, yeah. uh, you know, those, those touch points, what, what, what are you signaling at each of those? Um, as a as a you know strategy, go go and check them and have a look at your competition. Have a look at where you want to position yourselves in the market. Who you're trying to beat, you know what yeah. are they signalling that maybe you're not um, to um, uh, and 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 frame that um, marketing question that way. Yeah, great one, Dean. Uh, amazing cool. topic, really deep one. I'm sure we could have. I'm sure we could have. Uh, talked on that for hours, and there's probably a few other topics, as is often the case that that come out of that. Um, for future we episodes, would, I think. We would talk forever if we could, Sam. I don't think anyone would want to listen to that. <laughs> no, um, but we'd but have I'm a lot of fun, sure wouldn't we? We? <laughs> we would, we would. <laughs> Brilliant. So um, great topic. Um, we'll, we'll cut it off there. Uh, thanks again for everyone who's, who joined in today. As usual, if you have enjoyed the podcast, the best way you can show your support is by leaving reviews. Obviously, the algorithms that fuel the promotion of these things are so heavily uh, dependent on your reviews so please do uh, show your support that way otherwise you know um you know please do get in contact let us know what you thought give us ideas or suggestions or your own uh, views and topics we'd love to hear from you and we'll be back again in a couple of weeks time with another topic no doubt we will indeed that's uh sounds good good to talk to you again mate and uh we'll uh we'll do it all again very soon excellent thank you dean yeah bye-bye